0: bibles to Matthew chapter 7 so we continue to look at 7:11 and 12 Matthew 7 In verse 7 it says ask and it shall be given you seek and you shall find knock and it shall be opened to you for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it shall be opened Or what man is there among you, when his son shall ask for him a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how how to give uh, good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them, for this is the law and the prophet's. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you once again thanking you for the music, thanking you for the service, the time of fellowship. And now as we come to your word, we thank you for it. And we just pray that our eyes will be open to the truth that you have for us, that you will speak to our hearts the way that you so desire, that we will not hinder that in any way, And, Lord, that you will anoint this time so that you will be glorified and you will be lifted up and honored. Help us to make the decisions that we need to make as you place them upon our hearts. I pray that we will be obedient and obedient unto you, Lord, and your word. So, God, we just pray for a very special anointing, for your grace to take work in our midst, in our lives. For I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Prayer is the only subject, as I mentioned, that's mentioned twice in the Sermon on the Mount. At the beginning of it, we talked about the model prayer, and then now we're coming to another part of it where we're talking about persistent praying. This may be the key to the value the Lord places upon prayer, as we mentioned. No doubt the need of prayer is a reason that the Lord brings up the subject during the Sermon on the Mount two times. And it is certainly most appropriate in this present context. The entire sermon concerns the character and life of the believer and his ministry. And with that, we see that The integral part to possessing this character and demonstrating it to the world is prayer. We need to depend upon God. We need to ask Him. We need to talk to Him. We need to see where the source of our strength, of our direction, the understanding that we need from His Word, that it all comes from Him and so he lets us know this the following context after this in verse 14 talks about being brought into the kingdom of god and prayer certainly plays an important part in that as we ask god to take our lives over to save us to forgive us as we surrender our lives to the lord and become a part of his kingdom finally this immediate context though with its Exhortation uh, concerning a criticism and judgmentalism that we just talked about this certainly needs prayer for to understand this between or how to have careful discrimination in judgment and not be judgmental is very important and we can't do it within our own wisdom, with our own knowledge so God gives us many principles in his word but He does not give specific methods or rules for every conceivable situation. Prayer is indispensable. It is a necessity for making biblical judgments. But this is just one aspect of prayer. A lot of people have abused this verse or these verses as I've talked about before by naming and claiming and this is not a naming and claiming this is not what he's talking about here this is just one aspect of prayer that he's dealing with there are many aspects of prayer you know we talked about it in James chapter 4 verse 3 it talks about praying and not having selfish motives if you want your prayer answered also in first John 3 it talks about obedience Obeying the commandments of God, if you want your prayers to be answered and then and to be heard and answered, and and then asking with proper consideration as a husband considers the wife in First Peter 3 7, considers her and her feelings and her life, and not to think that we husbands can go to the Lord in prayer and abuse our wives in any way, whether verbally or or uh, you know physically having the proper consideration and then also uh, and these are just a few you know uh, asking according to God's will and Matthew six twenty four 24 talk about that in first John 5 4 so there's different aspects of praying this is not the only one and this one we see that Christ reveals the condition for prayer that he's talking about and that is needed and that he wants to emphasize here. And that is a command that involves continuous praying. As we talked about last week, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. But this is not in the Aaron's tense. This is in what? The present tense. It is an ongoing thing. It is an imperative. It's not just once and for all like I talked about last week in giving the illustration. I'll give you one similar to that. If I tell myself or my sons to stop at a stop sign, then I want them to stop. I'm commanding them, stop at that stop sign. And they better stop. There may be a state trooper nearby. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and an uh, accident that could happen also. So you stop. But if I tell them, stop at every stop sign, that is a command. Then what am I doing? I'm putting it in that continuous action arm, and this is what the Lord is saying here, and it's very important because He's giving us a condition that He's He's offering in this prayer at this time. As I said earlier, obedience—you know, uh, uh, having the uh, right motives, uh, proper consideration, praying in God's will—those are all conditions in other parts. Uh, of scripture mention other places for prayer this one though is the condition is persistence it's persistence so first of all Christ reveals the condition for prayer in verses 7 through 8 he's saying be persistent he says ask and it shall be given to you keep asking keep seeking and you shall find you'll keep finding knocking and it shall continue to be open for you so Christ reveals a condition, which is persistence. But second of all, Christ gives the reason why we should be persistent in prayer. And that is, he says, keep asking and it shall be given to you. That is a definite. He says, persistence will be rewarded. Now he's talking about persistence here. And you've got to remember that prayer involves a whole realm of things, but he's saying, I want you to be persistent, and we'll understand why. A lot of people say, well, you know, I'm persistent. I've been persistent about things, but I, you know, I haven't had that prayer answered. Well, number one, are you expecting in your timing or God's timing? Number two, are you being specific? Number three, are you praying with selfish motives? And then we could just go on and on and on. Are you praying in obedience? Are you disobedient to the Lord? Are you praying, you know, uh, according to God's will? Are you just praying with selfish motives, doing it for your own reasons and wanting something selfishly? And so, you know, uh, we go on and on and on. So persistence will be rewarded if we are praying according to the way God would have us to pray for what God wants us to pray. As he leads us. Well, what is he talking about here? Well, I want to tell you. What has the Sermon on the Mount been talking about? The Sermon on the Mount's been talking about how to live a godly life, how to live a kingdom life. Now, if you don't need prayer in, in helping you to do that, then you're probably self-sufficient in your actions and you're not dependent upon the Lord the way you should be. And this is what he wants. He wants us to persistently come to him. He knew that you couldn't live this way. You have your new creation in Christ once you're born again, but you couldn't live this way consistently without consistently depending upon God. You don't live independently of God. We don't think that we can do it on our own. We can't. And so Jesus here gives an illustration from life as to why the process of persistent praying works. In verses 9 through 11, he says, Oh, what man is there among you when his son shall ask him for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he shall ask for a fish, he won't give him a snake, will he? If you then being evil, in other words, we still have this corrupt body, don't we? Just because we're a new creation in Christ doesn't mean that we no longer are tempted or even yield to sin, do we? We are tested in that way. That's part of our growing by yielding and learning to yield and praying unto the Lord and depend upon Him as we are. trial. We face trials and we face testing. So... He says, that's why he's saying, you being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? So Jesus offers the illustration from life to show why persistent prayer works. Now, we don't have to placate God. I mean, we're not working for salvation, are we? This is not what he's talking about. These are kingdom living instructions that he's been giving. We serve a God who is true to his character. And what he says he will do. It will be done. So that is why um, to question God's consistency and constancy is to question his character. And we need to be very careful about that. Not to do that it is an insult to God to do that. God is good. Now there's two types of good that we, we know of basically if we want to boil them down to that and that is one type is a comparison. We compare one another uh, things to, one, uh, to other things and one another uh, to, to other people and so in turn we are uh, comparing that. That's the type of good where we have our measuring sticks and and we see who is better or what is best, what thing is best we think or is better. But then there is that good that is beyond our imagination that's perfect. And that is God. And so we as believers don't have to come to God and hope that our faith in Him may one day allow us into heaven, do we? We know that He is true to His Word, He's good. For by grace are you saved through faith. And we know that. God has taken care of it. We don't have to come to God and hope that our service today will be accepted before Him if we're doing it the best we know how and we're we're serving the Lord with a sincere heart, do we? If it is being done with the right motive for the right reason then we can rest assured that it will be accepted before God. God is good. We do not have to hope that God will be true to his promises and kind and merciful to us. That is his character. God does not change. So Jesus gives us two examples. In one illustration, to prove God is kind and merciful and true, To his promises and the comparison with the stone and the fish the uh, the snake and and uh, you know the loaf and stone fish and snake these comparisons between the human fathers and the heavenly father and the human father though instinctively evil because of our fallen nature as I mentioned earlier Will give good things to their children if they're decent parents. And the Heavenly Father, the comparison there is if we who are fallen in our nature will do such things, then how much more will the Heavenly Father be true to His Word? God nowhere promises that everyone will be wealthy. And everyone will be healthy. But he does promise things in his word. And he carries those things out. He is instinctively holy and good. And will certainly give what is good. If a child should not question the goodness of their heavenly father gift, then how much more should uh, God's child not question the goodness of his gift? So the use of bread and fish implied normal responses of the father taking care of the child. Provision for basic needs. And he said it's ridiculous to think that a father who is going to take care of his children would do these things to hurt a child. He wouldn't do that. He's going to take care of them. So if the Father, earthly father will do so. How much more so will the perfect heavenly father do so? And the conclusion is how much more shall your heavenly father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Is to reassure his followers that asking is not in vain even if it requires persistence. When the child of God asks in faith with consistent sincerity, God, and this is the key, will give what is good. In other words, what he thinks you need. What he knows you need. What is good for you. What is good. The good there means what is good, useful, satisfactory to one's needs. So he gives us what we need as we ask and we can count on him giving the right thing he's not going to give some snake or some stone he's going to give what is good for this reason the promise is not that the heavenly father will give what is asked but what is good and then the last thing that we look at The conclusion or summation here that's given, it's kind of stuck in there. And you say, why in the world are you sticking this verse in there? Well, hang in there with me because uh, it'll take me a time to try and unravel this and tell you why I put it all together here and stuck that verse in there. It says, therefore, however, you want people to treat you, so treat them. However you want people to treat you, so treat them, for this is the law and the prophets. Summation of it. The verse begins with therefore, indicating the connection with the preceding text. It's best to make the connection, not just with verses 7 through 11 though, but with the entire sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And this could be called the golden rule. In other words, he's summing up what's been taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, how in the world are he summing it up? You know, law and prophets, it's all summed up there. Okay, how in the world are we going to be able to live to all of that on our own? We can't. This is why we go to the source that is needed, and that is God. How? In prayer? We ask Him. You you see, this statement comes at the end, teaching on, on how to live kingdomly. We're made in the image of God. We all have moral conscience. Now, our moral conscience, it is corrupted today because of sin, isn't it? Because sin is there. And it corrupts our moral conscience. Now we can pick, our conscience can pick up a lot of good things. But we need to be very careful there. We can make our conscience dance to whatever we want it to dance to. If you think about it. We can convince ourselves that something is right when it's not right. We can make the conscience so suppressed and so corrupted by habits, by pattern, and by denial that we'll not even hear the Spirit of God speaking to us. We're not to let our conscience be our guide. You've heard that before, haven't you? It can be a dangerous thing. They're talking about this on Wednesday night. Good class. We've got to let the Word of God be our guide. That's a must. The Spirit of God speak to us. The Word of God must corrupt or correct the conscience. You know, a lot of things that we do and we pick up through our conscience, if you look at it, is from how our parents taught us and the culture that we were brought up in. And a lot of you that were Christians that had committed Christian parents that knew this tried to educate your conscience around the Word of God. But we we need to be very careful there. The Word of God must uh, correct (laughs) the conscience, not the other way around. And when we come to this passage, Jesus transforms this. Principle from the negative to the positive. He says, treat people the way you want them to be treated. Or you want to be treated, excuse me. And at the end of the verse, Jesus says, for this is the law and the prophets. In other words, we need summaries, don't we, a lot of times. We need to summarize everything. You see it in books at the end, the summary. I like to get to it to see what they're talking about a lot of times so we need summaries and this is what Jesus is doing here summarizing it. even the ten commandments if you'll think about it it had a summary when Moses came down off the mount and he was reflecting the Shekinah glory of God he had two tablets with him two tablets what with the commandments written on them now what did he say he summarized it this is the law that's what he said this is the law. Now was that the only law? No. That wasn't the end to the law. For another category of the law was written in Deuteronomy also, wasn't it? And Leviticus. So that wasn't the end. So in Matthew seven twelve, we have a summary of the Sermon on the Mount. And later in the Gospel of Matthew, we have a lawyer coming to Jesus and asking what law is the first and the greatest commandment. And Jesus said... You shall love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then next he says, The second is like unto the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these hang the law and the prophets. He's summarizing. So Jesus summarizes the Old Testament into that. And he's summarizing it here in Matthew 7 12. It's not talking about what we must do to be saved. No way. But what a ser- saved person should look like and do. And the problem is, by ourselves, this cannot happen. Apart from God and his grace, we cannot live that way. And Jesus knew that. And he knew the difficulty that we would face. So he says, keep asking and it shall be, what? Given to you. Keep seeking and you shall, what? Keep finding. Keep knocking and it shall you shall keep on having what? The doors open. The Heavenly Father, He's not going to let you down. So we are to be persistent in our prayer according to God's will. But for our prayers to be heard and answered, we've got to be on the same wavelength. We've got to be in obedience to the Lord, praying according to His will. You see, persistent prayer involves kingdom people only. Now, I talked about this last week. This is not for lost people. They'll think, if I can live up to these categories and these, these rules and, and these statements that Jesus said, then I can be saved. No, he's not talking about that. Uh-uh. You see, persistent praying involves kingdom people only. He's talking about uh, this primarily for believers. Persistent praying helps prevent the slot machine type of praying. You know, you put in a quarter and you pull. You may get what you want or you may not. So you go to the next machine. Persistent praying is not that. Persistent praying is sincere praying. Something you need and you sincerely want it. For God to be glorified. Persistent praying encourages encourages a person to pray. It lets us know that we don't have to come to God with a water-tight case, ready to persuade Him that this is what is needed. As I mentioned earlier, we're not here to placate Him. He doesn't have to be convinced. He knows, but He wants us to be persistent. Persistent praying stresses the certainty of answers to prayer. Keep asking, and it shall be open to you. Nine times an answer to prayer is stated or implied in the section. We, though, need to learn to distinguish between delays and denials. Learning that delays are not necessarily denials. And then persistent praying needs to have right motives we need to have right motives when we go into praying persistently and persistent praying as I mentioned earlier also involves obedience persistent praying it demands persistency James said you have not because you ask not Dr. Tory. In his book, The Power of Prayer, wrote, We do not live in a praying age. We live in an age of hustle and bustle, of man's efforts and man's determination, of man's confidence in himself and his own power to achieve things. An age of human organization and human machinery and human push and human scheming and human achievement which in the things of God means no real achievement at all. What we need is not so much some new organization, some new wheel designed, but the spirit of the living creature in the wheels we already possess. And that's the wheel of prayer. How are we doing with prayer? Do you struggle? I want to say that I do. You know, it's, to be honest with you, and I'll share this, a lot of times it's easier, isn't it, to read the Word than to pray. even. To get into a good Bible study than to pray. to converse with others in study than to converse with God in prayer. I find it that way. Paul said pray without ceasing. We're to have that attitude of prayer always. In everything, talking to God. Seeking Him out. Being dependent upon him. It's not a physical intellectualism where we are stretching the muscles of our brain to show what we know or don't know. It is a time where we, even with the word of God, pray to seek the true meaning. To struggle with it at times. To not understand it all but to trust Him even though when we don't understand all that we're reading and studying. It is a time where we talk to Him. A caring Heavenly Father who loves us Who desires for us to come to him and pray. And talk to him in prayer. And it's just waiting. He's not forcing himself upon us. Do you think that we fail in that category a lot of times? I know I do. How about you? Well God is waiting. Waiting. For us to come, saying, "God, you know, haven't been doing too good in that area. At least not lately. Gotten too busy, hustle and bustle things. But Lord, I want to be more consistent. I want to be more persistent. I want to pray with a sincere, heartfelt." How many in, in here, and I want you to just think about it, because I struggle with this, know of somebody that's lost? Do you know somebody that's without Jesus? How many in here would, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, would say that you have prayed for that person? How many in here would say, I've been persistent? in praying for that person i've had a heartfelt desire for that person i don't i believe in eternity either heaven or hell and i don't want that person to experience that separation from god for all eternity how are we doing? You see, I'm asking you because I'm telling you that I don't always do too good. God says, show me you really are sincere. In your walk with the Lord, show me that you're really sincere. You want to grow? You want to be concerned over others? You want the church to grow? You want people to conform to the image of Christ. You want things to happen for my kingdom? You want me to be glorified? Then let me see it in your heart. Let me see it in your heart. A lot of times we'd rather go and talk to somebody else than talk to God first. Or talk about somebody else and talk to God first. And bring them before God. How much do we really want things to change? God wants them to change. May not be the way that we want them to and the time that we want them to But he wants them, if it's for his kingdom, he wants them to be changed. Let's bow our heads in prayer.